Now, this is also the psalm of the cross. And our Lord Jesus was hunted by our sins. The ferocious, the unrelenting uh, pursuit of the Holy One by the sins of man is seen in this psalm as our Lord was kneeled to the cross pitilessly and mercilessly, our Lord Jesus was put to death. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Bolliher. We're on the air again to bring you the message of the gospel from our free Presbyterian church. And today we turn to the Psalm 22, the Psalm of the success of the cross. We are looking at the power and the message of the cross where our Lord Jesus died, suffered, and gave himself for our salvation. And today we want to just uh, expound what our Lord accomplished from the Psalm 22. Let's begin by reading these very familiar words. They are words indeed that are prophetical, written by the psalmist David 1,000 years before Calvary. And they are an exact description of the cross, both the sufferings and the words of our Savior from the tree. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. These are the words of the psalmist David, but they are really the words of our Lord Jesus from the cross. And these prophetical words describing the anguish and the suffering of our Lord Jesus, they tell us much of the personal suffering of our Lord Jesus on that cruel tree. Now remember that our Lord suffered there for us. He was there in our place, making atonement to satisfy the wrath of God against our sins, that he might become our Savior. And so I bid you to believe on the Lord Jesus today, to put your complete faith and trust in him, and that you will stay with us for the message of God's word today. And in the midst of this message, we have the hymn, The Old Rugged 
cross. We begin with the message, The Success of the Cross, Psalm 22. If you study the title to the Psalm 22, you will learn that this is the Psalm of the Hunted Deer. One writer has a very interesting take uh, and a reference to the statement in verse 16, for dogs have compassed me. The picture is given of the hunted deer by dogs surrounding its prey. Now, in the East, dogs were not domesticated. They were not the pampered and the pets that we think of in our part of the world. In the East, in Bible times, dogs went in packs and they roamed to scavenge and to hunt. With their wolf-like eyes and their drooping ears and their straight poker tails, they would snarl and they would attack their prey. The scene of the hunted deer with the dogs gathered around tearing into its blood and its flesh, is indeed a vivid scene uh, depicted for us here in this psalm. Now, this is also the psalm of the cross. And our Lord Jesus was hunted by our sins. The ferocious, the unrelenting uh, pursuit of the Holy One by the sins of man, is seen in this psalm. As our Lord was kneeled to the cross, pitilessly, pitilessly and mercilessly, our Lord Jesus was put to death. I want you to see the beginning and the ending of the psalm. I want you to notice in verse 1 the term forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. The forsakenness of our Savior. But at the end of the psalm, I want you to notice that it ends in victory, because it is a work that is accomplished or done. And it says in the very last line of the psalm, verse 31, that he hath done this. It's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. And some think that our Lord actually quoted this psalm while he was on the cross at Calvary. And no doubt, as you take it line upon line and word by word, it would be very, very fitting for this psalm to be quoted by our Lord Jesus there on the cross. These very words of our Lord Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And then verse 11 through 18, you have descriptions that are so perfect. Now, these are written a thousand years before Calvary. Uh, verse 11, let's begin to read here. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, 
And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Words, some of which we know, were quoted at Calvary. And the psalmist is moved by the power of inspiration to write these words, and it is the psalm of the cross. And if we want to know what our Lord endured and what he suffered, we must look at this psalm. In verse 1, the question is, why hast thou forsaken me? If you take each single word in order, the question, why? The all-time great question, why was our Lord Jesus hanging there, suffering on that cruel tree? Do you know that he was a substitute for our sin? Do you know that he was there in our place? And of course, a Christian can answer the why. The Christian can appreciate or begin to enter into the reason he was there for me. The word hast, it's done. It's not just projected or talked about. It actually took place. There at Calvary, our Lord Jesus died, suffered. There the darkness fell. The wrath of God consumed our Lord Jesus. It is in the past now. It's done. Then the person who did it, thou, why hast thou, that's the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the one who loved him with an eternal love? There we learn the nature of the Father who became the judge of the Son. Forsaken, there we learn that it was more than just chastisement. It was more than just correction, but it was abandonment. Why hast thou forsaken me? And if you read verses 1 and 2, uh, you learn of the awful silence. O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, but there's no answer. And it seems that God is silent toward his Son. And we learned in the Psalm 28 a few weeks ago where the psalmist prayed, Be not silent to me, lest I be like them that go down to the pit. And here now is our Lord Jesus despairingly pleading with his Father, Why hast thou forsaken me? I have cried, but to this point there's no answer. Now, if you go down to verse 3, you do get an answer. And here is the all-time great answer to the eternal question, why did the Father punish His Son? Why did He abandon Him on the cross? Why was this separation between the Father's soul and the soul of His Son? Well, it tells us, but thou art holy. 
And there is the answer. And if you do not understand the holiness of God, you do not understand Calvary. If you do not understand the holy, righteous, terrible judgment of a strict God that keepeth righteousness, hateth iniquity, and will always judge sin to its maximum, you do not understand the God of Christianity, nor the Father of our Lord Jesus. He is holy. He is the God that came down to Sinai and thundered the law to His people. And there at the cross, He thundered again in the deserting of His own Son. And if you don't grasp today that the God of the Bible is a holy God, you don't understand the law, no, you don't understand the cross. And when we look to Calvary, we see there the good news, the good news that Jesus stepped into in our place, and He took the wrath of God, and He bore the punishment from the holy nature of God that we should have borne. You see, without understanding the holiness of God, the gospel is no good news. When men are told that they are fine for God, and all is well with their souls, when there is no sense of wrath and judgment for sin, then what is the good news of one who came to suffer, to bleed, and die? But he is holy. Never forget that. Never forget that. And when you should ever seek another gospel, when you should seek another way of being reconciled to God, remember this, but God is holy. And this holy God found a way to deal with your sin and my sin without laying the sword of judgment upon us. He so loved the world that He gave us His Son. Now, as we study this psalm, you will find that there is an amazing turning point at verse 22. Verses 1 to 21 are a series of cries from the soul of the Savior on the cross to His Father. But in the verse 22, the whole cry changes. It is now a declaration of redemption accomplished. He says in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Now, I love the term redemption accomplished. And it was accomplished because in the previous verse, the Father heard the Son. There were those hours of darkness whenever the Father would not hear. It was judgment. But when our Lord Jesus cried out, it is finished, the wrath was gone. God was placated. Propitiation was accomplished in that the wrath of God was now turned to divine favor. And the payment was paid in full. And God was satisfied with the sacrifice of His Son. And when He cried out, It is finished, the veil opened, and the reconciliation took place. And here in verse 22, he says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. All because 
the cries of our Lord Jesus were heard. bring you to that last little statement in the psalm where it says, he hath done this. He hath done this. This is equal to the cry of our Lord where he cried out, it is finished. He hath done this. And God, though he was holy, and though he spared not his son, but lifted him up for us all, God heard the cries of his suffering son, and eternal life was granted for whom those for whom Christ died. And so salvation full and free is to be declared. It is to be preached in the earth. It is no more to be bought, no more to be merited on that cross. Our Lord Jesus suffered and died to pay redemption. He was the hunted deer the dogs of our sins, the law and the righteousness of God has now met, and our Lord Jesus laid down his life. Today I want us to focus upon the success of our Savior's death on the cross. I must say that I was torn as I went through this psalm. Surely the message ought to be the sufferings of the Savior the agonies, the emotions that are so clearly described in this psalm. But my heart was drawn to this great fact as I came to this second half of the psalm, 22 to 31, that it is the accomplishments, the success of the cross. You see, the theology of the cross is that Christ's death could not fail. It was not a matter that he should set up redemption for the subjects of salvation and say, now take it or leave it. We're told, and I bring you to my text now, to verse 30. I want these words to be riveted into all of our hearts today. It says, a seed shall serve him. 
The cross work of our Lord Jesus could not fail. It was impossible that Christ should die and no one be redeemed. Now, of course, if men were left to themselves and their own depraved natures and choices, that's what would happen. But that's not the redemption for which Christ died. A seed shall serve him. Certain success, never failure. You'll notice in this statement, a seed shall serve him, a special select number of people. A seed shall serve him. Now, this word seed refers to people, men, women, and young people who are redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. But the analogy of this word seed, it really comes from the farmer sowing his seed in the field. And every year at harvest time, a farmer who is forward-looking to the next year's sowing and harvest, he will choose a seed for the next year's planting and harvest. And that select seed is carefully chosen. He wants the best. And he takes that seed, he stores it ever so safely. And he knows that in each and every grain of that seed is the power of multiplication for another year's harvest that will perpetuate the work of his grain growing. Now, in the Bible, that scene, that picture, that language is taken concerning the work of Christ's death. He has a seed, a select number who will serve him. And they are chosen. They are set apart. And they are brought to the place where they will become part of the harvest of Christ's death. Now, in the book of Galatians chapter 3, a very important text that we need to turn to, we learn here that each of these people that they are the people of faith. They are the seed who have faith. And I choose this uh, reference because it talks again about the seed, the seed of the gospel. Galatians 3 and the verse 6. Galatians 3 verse 6, And as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So who are these select number? They are those who have faith, just as Abraham believed. And we're told, now here's a, an Old Testament quote right here in Galatians 3 verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the sea, the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law is in the sight of God is evident, 
for the just shall live by faith. So these select number, these people for whom Christ died, these who are set apart to be a part of the harvest of the church, they are the people of faith. And you can know today if you are a part of the redeemed. You can know if you are, have entered in. And the question is, do you have faith? Have you believed in the death of our Lord in the cross? Does this suffering of the Savior as a substitute, has it registered in your heart as a work done for you? And you say, thank you, Lord. This is my hope. This is my eternal life, the redeeming work of my Lord Jesus. Now, I meet people and they talk about, I have my faith. You know, I invite people along to church to hear the gospel and say, oh, I have my faith. And I ask them, well, what, what is your faith? Uh, on whom or on what do you believe? And then you soon realize, well, I, I just, uh, I think, I hope, and I have my thoughts. But really, there is no object to faith. There's no really believing in or believing on. And the gospel is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And these are the select people. These are the people for whom Christ died, the seed that will serve him. Everyone is given faith. Are you a believer today? Can you say that you have honestly called on the Lord to be your Redeemer, to transfer the merits, the value of the work of the cross to your account, to your soul? to make you a child of God? You see, your faith is only as good as the person and the work in whom you believe. Your faith in itself is nothing. It has to be upon the mighty grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, I know today that I can say this with Paul the Apostle. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Now, you'll notice how Paul put it. He is able. Christians don't boast in their own goodness, their own accomplishments, or their own keeping power. He is able. Do you believe that? Then you're saved. You believe that Christ is able to forgive your sin, keep you from sin, and present you to heaven justified, sinless, just as if you'd never sinned, then you are saved. How precious it is to believe. As we come to this communion table to partake of this cup and bread, what are we doing as we take that bread and cup? We're saying, I believe. I believe. I'm a believer in this. My faith is not in some mushy feeling. My faith is not merely in some wandering thought. My faith is in a Redeemer, His work, His blood, his suffering for me in my place as my substitute. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.